Hi, it's Rob Ford and welcome to The Real Deal Podcast, a podcast that's all about inspiring agents with some of the best agents from around the country who are joining us to share their insights in exactly what they're doing to make themselves perform at the pinnacle of Australian real estate. Today, we interview Sarah Street. Sarah, one of the top agents with the Highland Property Group, uh, doing incredible business in the Sutherland Shire, around 80 sales a year, over $2 million in commission. If, you want, if you're wondering what it is that makes Sarah unique, her ability to actually understand exactly what she needs to do and where her business comes from, uh, she has it worked out to an absolute T going through and looking at all the checklists, all the way that she works with her team to make sure that they've got absolute accountability to get the best results in that marketplace, which they continually deliver on. So if you're interested in learning about what is the structure and the secret behind the success, this is a great podcast for you. Um, Sarah is an incredible operator. She is, um, she's based down in the Sutherland Shire. Uh, those of you that know, uh, know Sydney in Cronulla, uh, she's got great market share, been in the industry, I believe about nine years. Um, she's taken out last year, she was in the top 50 women REB um, and, and recognized for that. She uh, generally is doing around uh, 80 uh, property sales per annum, uh, over 2 million GCI. Uh, median sales price last year was about 2.2 million. Uh, and she's also a partner and the group sales director at the Highland Property Group. So she's got a lot, uh, certainly a lot on her plate. And uh, yeah, we're, we're very lucky. I, having a having a chat and having a look at some of the work that Sarah put into the presentation today, She, uh, you are incredibly, uh, incredibly detailed. And there's, I can see already why you get the success that you do, because there's a uh, there's a lot of uh, wisdom that you've got in there and look forward to you sharing that with the team today. So thanks uh, thanks very much for joining us. And thanks for having me. Um, as I said, not great with technology, but happy to answer any questions that you guys might have today. So thanks for, inv- for the invite. No, that's awesome. So I thought we might start if um, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about um, your, yourself, your career before real estate, how long you've been in and um, yeah, your, your journey in real estate thus far. Um, So I'm happily married. Uh, I've got uh, two daughters. Uh, One's doing a HSC. She's 16 turning 17 and um, my youngest is in year nine. Um, I've been in real estate. This is coming on um, eight years, nearly nine years. Um, I was prior to that um, in banking and finance, Um, my last role being the head of the corporate division for the Commonwealth Bank um, for corporate and business banking. Um, at the time, my children were a lot younger and um, they offered me the national role and I think it got to the point where I felt like I didn't want to um, look back and someone else had raised my kids. Um, so I took career break. I think it lasted about six weeks before I, I nearly went insane doing nothing. Um, and then uh, family friends said, you should get into real estate. And I think I said, oh, I don't like real estate agents. Um, but it was five minutes from home and um I started, did my real estate certificate, license, auctioneer, accreditation, and loved it. So here I am nine years later. That's awesome. And um, obviously, do you want to maybe talk to a bit about your sort of start in and you've got a team now, so how that journey sort of evolved and when you when you built the team or, you know, how you sort of, you know, got to where you are now? Um, So I've only been with Highlands now about 15 months um, as partner and group sales director, but still a a selling agent myself. Um, 
But prior to that, when I first left uh, the bank, I worked for a smaller boutique agency. Um, there was no systems or structure in place. Um, you know, no leads came my way. Most of the leads that came in went to the principal um, or his daughter. So everything I did, I, I very quickly learned. And as you can probably see from my level of detail from my checklist and, and all of that, coming from corporate banking where I had compliance, system structure, um, I did a lot of training with like Lee Woodward, uh, Josh Vegan, um, Tom Hanos. I, I heavily invested myself personally in um, developing my skills as an agent. Um, I, I saw it that it would eventually return for the investment because it's not it's not cheap to do um, a number of those courses and and one on one coaching. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I actually then at, at the boutique agency, I was at, set up a lot of those systems and, and structure. Um, and I then also realised that every listing had to lead to another listing and buyer work and open homes were probably my two biggest sources of uh, referral or, or where I get invited into homes. So made sure my open homes were first class and um, my buyer work, um, some of the buyers, you know, you work with, didn't eventuate to be sellers for three or four years, but, you know, I look, took the long game as opposed to the short game. So we might even go into that now. So you, it looks like um, you're very um, diligent with your database. Um, so in terms of the plan that you've got around, um, you know, talking to people in your database, maybe your geographic area, do you sort of farm a particular area that you're trying to build market share in and how do you go about that? I do. So I have three suburbs. Um, uh, each suburb's got potentially, um, I, I think the total of the three comes to 3,900 homes in, in those uh, locations. Um, I actually, uh, for the first four years, um, didn't see any, like, like the consistency, the prospecting, the DL letters, um, I did a, a, a monthly newsletter, um, quarterly market report. Um, I sponsored the school, um, uh, local soccer team. It was easy because my family, we uh, one of the suburbs that I cover, I, li I lived in for 12 years. So it was very um, natural and organic for that to happen. But, um, you know, I, I, I can tell you there were times when I was spending heavily money on sponsorships and things and you can't quantify um, the return. But about year, three and a half years, four years in, it all just, you know, all of that consistency and, you know, all the calls and, and that. I didn't do a lot of door knocking, um, to be honest. Um, but if I did do door knocking, it was door knocking with a purpose. So just listed, just sold, meeting neighbours and those sorts of things. I found... I always had a much better success rate when I was telling them something of interest or giving them information as opposed to knocking on the door and just asking, would they like to sell their home? Um, but, yeah, after about four years, it just took off and, um, you know, you'd go into the local cafe or you go to the school and, and people know who you are and refer and, you know, yeah. with all of you sold that and, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it, was, it worked.
Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I want to just now have, if you can tell us a bit about how your routine works, because it looks like you are, um, you know, very um, sort of locked into a, um, you know, structure um, and, you know, prospecting obviously forms part of that as your other activity. So maybe if you can tell us a little bit about what your typical day sort of looks like and how you try and structure that. So um, first, I might just say, so originally I didn't have an assistant. So for the first couple of years, I was by myself um, and um, I had to be very time efficient on where I spent my time. And then I put on my first assistant um, and she was predominantly administration, not prospecting. And what Um, sort of volume were you doing at that stage when you put put her on? I think my first and second year, I think my first year I did 450 and then it jumped up around 800 um, and, and I put my first assistant on around that point. Um, I then did a couple of years of um, one year just under the mill mark and then a couple of years I did a mill. And I that's when I actually had to sit down and determine um, how I could it felt like I'd done the million and that was great it was exciting but it just felt like nothing was shifting from there and how I could then grow the business further so at that point um I put on another assistant um and that was more a prospecting um based role and um the following two years after that um were two just over two mil and then the following year, I think it was 2.3 and, and it, it was pretty stable then. I was doing very similar um, transactions. Um, I currently now have invested in a third role in the team. Um, so just for everyone, I've got myself, who's a lead selling agent. Then I've got uh, Olivia, who is um, my right and left arm. She's pretty much, she does um, admin, marketing, reporting, um, anything in the back end that needs doing, she covers. She does my diary management. Uh, I've then got Shannon, who is a junior agent in my team, um, and we work together on opens and, and working with our vendors and buyers. And then I've got Cooper, who is purely there from a prospecting perspective. So um, you know, database mining, just listed, just sold, door knocking, cold calling, all of that. And he's very, he's got a, a prospecting structured um, program. Can, um, can I ask with the, because that's always a bit of a question when you're, you know, getting someone in a prospecting type role, is the main um, people that they're talking to people that are already existing in your database? And I guess with nine years, you've got a lot of your marketplace, you've probably got the data for, I would imagine. Um, so actually, to be honest, um, at Greg, well, where I was previously at Greg Gilbert Real Estate, um, my database was really messy. Um, and I didn't have, when your business is growing and, and what the volume we were doing, there never seemed to be a perfect time to stop and clean it up, even though we tried a few occasions. And, um, when I left, I, um, I had to start fresh, right? So coming across, I made it um, quite clear to the team that we needed to do it properly. So we've now got custom classes. We've got um, a hot buyer list, a hot seller list. We've got our buyer seller because I'm I'm finding that that's really critical in this market right now, that the people that want to buy but then they've got to sell, we're working with them very closely to make sure that we're servicing them to get them their listing once they've purchased. 
Um, so that we're still going with that. Um, however, Highlands database, as you can imagine, and it's probably the same with yours, when you've got such a large um, number of buyers coming through, it, it's always challenging to try and keep that clean, that data. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. So, yeah, that's the team. But going back to your question around um, each year, we sit down as a team and do a planning session and I've now got um, a checklist in place for Monday, Tuesday for the whole week and I've also got roles and responsibilities so that we each know that we can stay in our own lane and who does what. So, yeah, it doesn't get mixed or um, sometimes we each need to jump into each other to help out but predominantly regardless of um, who's there, because of the checklist in place, the volume we could do, it doesn't matter. Someone could jump in that seat and they may not yeah. have great knowledge or experience, but the job gets done. For sure. And that that planning session that you do annually, um, yeah. what does that look like? Um, it's a full day off-site from just my team. Um, yeah. We look at our performance. We look at any, any areas of the business that we think we're lacking or that we can improve on. We look at our numbers um, and then we set our targets and goals, both personal and professional goals. So I'm very big about the team. Um, we we don't live to work, we work to live and um, making sure that we love coming to work. So, um, yeah, it's important and we, we encourage and support each other with those goals. Yeah. And then, so with your, you've got your obviously Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, everyday sort of roles and responsibilities that your your team have. Is that yeah. something, um, do you have a weekly sort of review or daily, a quick catch up? How, how does that, how does that look? Every morning um, we have a, a team uh, huddle, um, you know, 10, 15 minutes, what was left over from the day before, what's the focus for that day, um, on a Monday, it's a little bit more in-depth. It goes through what, what our current campaigns are, what we're watching, what's sold, what options have we got coming up, all of that sort of stuff that everyone would do, marketing, um, prospecting, so where we're going to target. Um, and because we've got three areas, um, we try and get all three covered at some point during the week. Um, and, and then um, we have a, a group team like from sales, all of us, um, on a Tuesday morning. Yeah, cool. And so I'm, I'm guessing that your team and you are pretty clear on what you're doing every day. I guess if you're meeting, if you're meeting every day, it makes it, makes it a lot easier. We normally touch base just um, prior to end of day. Um, if there's anything that needs to, to uh, I suppose, review, be reviewed before the next day. But yeah, we're, 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 we communicate pretty well. Yeah, cool. Um, one question um, that I've saw previously when you spoke, you sort of talked a bit about, um, you know, uh, questions that you're qualifying your vendors with. Um, I would imagine that um, that's probably becoming more prevalent now. I'm sure your market, like ours, has probably come off a little bit in um, in the last few months. So it's um, the way that you're sort of approaching that. H have you changed in the way that you're sort of qualifying vendors now or how, how does that look? Um, so I've always taken the approach for clients for life, not for one transaction. And um, I like to get as much information from whether it's a referral or whether they're phoned or whether, you know, I'm doing the OFI callbacks and, and have been invited in. 
I think the more information that I can get at that point before going out and seeing them is really important. And, um, you know, I, I always ask, are they seeing any other agents? What's their motivation, time frame? Sometimes they're not willing in that conversation to be forthcoming, but in most cases I find that they will tell you what, what they're thinking, who they're seeing. I always ask what their view is of where their property is positioned from a price point. Occasionally they'll go, that's what we're getting you out for, I'd rather not say. But in most cases I go, well, it's not going to impact my professional opinion, but where do you think ballpark so I can do some research before coming out? Um, yeah. I like to find out as much as I can so that we can, when we get there, we're in the best position. Um, I also, when I'm qualifying them, I do a few little different things so we we send a pre-list email um we sms them we invite them to our daily calendar invite for the appointment um uh, once i've done the appointment i um drop a thank you card off to them a handwritten thank you card thanking them for the time and then we again sms them that afternoon to say thank you for the opportunity um i try to have as many touch points as i can if i haven't signed it up in that first meeting or if i have to go back and see them the more i think that they've seen my name or had contact with me the better chance i've got of getting the listing and how much is that you versus your team that is doing that so um one of uh, in the past it's mainly been me doing all of the listing um shannon negotiates with buyers but one of her goals last year was for her to start doing um up to a certain price point and particularly ones that she's getting for her to step into that role for listing um i take the guys um if if, if time permits i'll take them with me um if cooper's um identifying something or gets an appraisal from his calls or his door knocking then he comes with me to them um i think for development it's great for them to be able to see that but shannon is starting to do her own appraisals now and if it is yeah. something i've got time i'll go out and sit with her but i'll take a backward seat and let her run the meeting yeah, cool. And just in terms of that, um, those questions with your sellers, I mean, are you taking on now? Because the, I mean, what we're seeing here is certainly a lot of sellers where they've got expectations of prices bigger than when things were flying um, and it's come off a bit. How are you sort of approaching those conversations at point of listing? In the early days, and I'm talking, you know, year one, year two, I'd take on any listing. It was like just to get exposure and get out there. I, I don't have the time right now um and i think again i have no problems with walking away from bad business um i think that there's always going to be a motivated seller that's going to meet the market but there is sometimes opportunistic of sellers that will be upfront with you and say we don't have to move but if we get this price then we'll sell I'll still work on those because then their expectations, they're not going to be blaming me. They know that the market's changed. Mm -hmm. But if someone's unrealistic, wants to sell, and um, there's no substantial evidence on how that's going to be, then they're probably not best in using me as their sales agent. Um, however, I have no problems as well in having the hard conversation. I think it's important, particularly in this market, that they hear the truth and um that we give them as much communication as possible throughout the selling process um, if it is on market and we adjust price accordingly 
Yeah, excellent. And what um, when you're in there at the listing, what is there anything that you sort of do that you think positions yourself above or or you know ahead of the competition that you're going up against? What how do you sort of do that? I'm actually probably, and I don't know how how um, your team structures it or your sales agents, but I always run through. I normally get to the property, get them to give me a tour of the home so I get an understanding of it, um, try and connect with them um, on some level, try to look out for something that will um, will work. Um, but then I sit down and the, the, I suppose the theories that I run through, my first thing is around their situation. I always want to know what the motivation is, what their concerns are, why they're making the move. Um, and I expand on what they've told me on the phone initially. I then give them a bit of a market update of where where, where I'm seeing things and what we're seeing on the ground. Um, and then I run through method of sale. Um, and at that time, I ask them what their past experiences have been like with selling, because sometimes they may not want to do an option. It's because they've had a bad experience from buying or selling or, or whatever it may be. I then talk about marketing, um, what the process would look like. And then what, I got, what's your average marketing budget that you sort of try and try and get? My my lowest budget is seven three, so seven thousand three hundred. That's my standard one. Um, and then they go all the way up. I've just done one at fifteen thousand. Um, you know everything in between. So. And that's all. Are you pretty strict on getting all sort of um, vendor paid? And do you try and get it up front, or how do you how do you work that? Um, we don't have the facilities. There, there is in my past agency we had um, where they could um, through a, a company that they could either pay up front or pay later. We don't offer that. And, and to be honest, um, as not only a partner but also as an agent that's been through lots of different markets, my preference is that they've got skin in the game and that yep. they they're motivated for selling and paying that up front is is always my preference. There are occasionally times where um, whether it's an old retired person that you know doesn't have the funds that and I know that they're selling that um, you know we may cover or they'll pay half up front half at the end but I'd say 99% of the time it's marketing paid up front. Yeah okay that's great um, and I'd just want to like when you've got the listing, you've got some um, you know vendor manuals and and different things that you sort of go through. So once you've sort of gone through and got the listing, are you then pretty? Um, you obviously go back and sit down and sort of, or, or is that something you do at the listing just to explain the process and what's coming? So I list the property. Um, we then and I take detailed notes. I'm um, quite detailed and the more information I've got, the better I can inform buyers um, to, you know, entice them to sell the home. But we send them a vendor questionnaire, which is, again, they'll fill that out so it will provide further detailed information to provide to buyers. I then do what's called a pre-campaign meeting with them, um, both in person, but I also summarise it with a document. Um, and that's just setting them up around what to expect on, you know, the first seven days, 14 days, midway through the campaign leading into the auction. Um, and also, you know, that neighbours may be knocking on their doors or buyers might approach them what to, what to do in those circumstances. Um, that if we're off track, these are the things that we've got to look at and review um, what my expectations are at certain stages of the campaign. And 
I think more so now, um, and going back to your point around vendor communication in a transitioning market, mm. we've made sure that the team on a Monday, we send first thing in the morning on a Monday morning, we send them the auction results with anything that's sold in their suburb that may be, you know, impact their sale or what's come on the market. We are, I do the calls and then on Monday night I call them. So they've had two touch points from me on a Monday. Tuesday, um, we do second round callbacks and then um, I call them again, but they also get a written report um, with detailed information on feedback, offers, who bought the building and pest, whatever that may be. Do you just send that to them or do you try and deliver that in person? Oh, I call them and we email it to them. So I normally email it, let them digest, and then I call them. Um, Uh, and then I can also, at that point, sometimes because we've done second round callbacks, give them a further update to what I've given them on the Monday. Um, on the Wednesday, um, we also send through um, any new listings, but I do midweek opens on a Wednesday. So they're having me call them directly after the Wednesday open. Yeah. Um, on the Thursday, they get a phone call from me because I've done the calls from the Wednesday open. On the Friday, my assistant sends them um, good luck for Saturday's open. If it's looking like it's going to rain, we'll say, you know, can you leave some towels out or whatever. Um, So they get my assistant. They also get um, an email that's from me that the team prepared. It tells them how many inquiries they've had, how many buyer appointments we've booked in for the opens for Saturday. And then... Saturday, they get a phone call from me. The only day that they're not hearing from me or one of the team is Sunday. Yeah, so that's awesome. So essentially, there's no excuse of, around, you know, I haven't heard from you. What are you doing? You're sort of not bombarding yeah. them, but you, you're giving them a lot of information, which is good. I was finding that when the market shifted and it shifted quite quickly, that if you were hearing from them before you were calling them, there was need to, you know, it was concerning for them. They were quite, un- and, and it's not un- uncommon to have them be uncomfortable or anxious, but I think it's better if we're calling them before they're calling us. Yeah, absolutely. And you did speak about before briefly that uh, one of the things, especially initially, was around making sure that you're generating listings off the back of listings. So once you've got a listing, you've you've been down, you've got you've got the um, authority signed. Um, yep. How does the process look in terms of getting it out? You're just listed. You're inviting neighbours, or what does that look like in terms of your promotion to make sure that you are going to be generating off the back of it? Um, so our process in our team is there'll be a sneak peek on social media, um, go out that it's coming. And my social media following, I and because I've been doing it in the same areas for a period of time, I actually get a lot of um, DMs and questions on the sneak peek because I'll put the picture in the suburb, but I don't put the address. Um, we also deliver to the street that it's going to. We've got a DL card that I've had heaps printed up that's professional that looks, it says someone in your street's about to go to market. If you'd like to know more information, please call and it's got my number. Um, you, you'll find that there'll just be people, you know, wanting to know what's going on in the street. But um, ultimately, we've picked up people that go, you know what, we're thinking of selling. Could you pop out and tell us how it compares if you've got buyers left over? Um, so that's also uh, a good hook. Um, and then once it's listed, we do social media boosting. Um, I wasn't doing paid, bend or paid boosting. I was boosting it, but now... Part of my marketing campaign, the minimum is 
um, $200, but normally my average normal campaigns would be a $500 boost or a $1,000 boost. Yeah, and and you think the results coming through from that, you're starting to see some traction from that, obviously? 100%. Um, now, guys, I'm sorry, you can probably hear that, but there's a man with a chainsaw outside on the tree. Kind of, Can't hear it. Um, well, that's good. Um <laughs> So we do the just listed letters. So Cooper, um, Cooper drops letters, um, and this is non-negotiable. So we normally do um, the whole street, but if it is a, a large street, then he'll do, you know, a hundred. Um, and then same with the just sold. We do auction invite letters, um, and then we do a deal to the to the suburb as well once it's sold. Yeah, cool. And just in terms of the social, do you actually run that yourself or does someone do that for you and who get back, who gets back to your DM messages? How does that look? So um, I was really big on, um, I wanted, I, when I was doing social media, it was so inconsistent. My template weren't great. Um, so I spent about four years ago, I spent uh, quite a lot of money and time putting it all together. Um, and uh, We've now got, and I had a team set up all of the templates for me. So just this to just sold auction. I do a lot of um, local love, um, trying to highlight, you know, my favourite places in the suburbs that we work in. Um, and so it, it's very consistent. Um, we're now focusing on more reels um, than video because I find that when they're personal and they're actually um, video versus just a template that we're getting a lot more interaction. Yeah, cool. That's good. Um, just to jump back to your team slightly, um, yeah. do you have with your associates and your team, so you're meeting with them daily, do you, I mean, do you run to KPIs? Is there, um, how do you sort of do that and what's the structure at look like um again when i hit that meal i never used to track numbers i was yeah. uh, doing the behaviors i knew that i couldn't work any harder and it was like well this is what it is and i got to the meal mark but then after doing a couple of years doing the same thing and nothing changing i had a session with um two people actually i had it with one with josh and he'd been telling me for years, you need to track your numbers, you need to look at what the you measure what you do and all of this sort of stuff. And so I did, um, not only for myself, but for the team. And it does make a shift when you're focusing on something and you're knowing what you're meant to be doing. And, and it's just a it's a numbers game. Uh, the more calls you make, um, the more the more people you meet or go and appraise. So um the team send me every Friday. Um, and it's broken up into five key areas. So for Shannon, it's the number of calls, the number of connects, and then how many market or listing appraisals she's booked. Yeah. Um, it then uh, goes to door knocking. Um, but for Cooper, he's also got letterbox dropping. And then they've both got um, uh, this year, which wasn't, and I don't know if your business has it, but I was finding that there was missed opportunities for referrals to property management or to our finance division. So I'm now tracking that. They've got a target on because we've put the scripting in place so that it gets to a certain section of the callback so that they can pick up those opportunities and that they're not missed um, because they were being missed. Yeah, that's great. 
And with I'm I'm curious at the moment as well because I'm not sure in down in um, Sutherland Shire is your are your stock levels building at the moment? Are days on market sort of blowing out a little bit and getting a little bit longer. Things getting a bit tougher. Um, so last year before Christmas, um, days on market had definitely blown out um, and there's still been isolated stock. Um, we didn't know what to expect. Before Christmas, it was tough. And then we came back and I um, I had three properties that didn't sell before Christmas. So the team and I came back on the 7th of January to do opens and the 14th whereas the rest of most of our suburban and area, the agents didn't come back until that third week of January. Yeah. Um, I found and all of those three properties sold those first two weeks of January and for a lot more, like hypothetically, say a property was getting off at two mil before Christmas, we eventually sold it for 2.2 or something. So there was not only immediate buyers back in the January period, but they were eager to transact. And I think the couple of reasons were some of them were finance approved and they didn't want rates to rise. Uh, they wanted to lock something in um, before their borrowing capacity changed. But also a lot of the dialogue in early January was that they felt that the market had reached the bottom or nearing the bottom and they didn't want to miss the boat. They knew that they were getting a lot better value than what they were previously. Yeah. Over the last couple of weeks, numbers have started to, to drop again. So. Yeah. It'll be interesting time. Yeah, absolutely. And just while I've got another question, but if anyone has any questions, um, either online or even if you're here, just text me and I can um I can make sure that we ask ask them through. Um, I would just ask around um because with that the stock levels obviously as days on market goes out the length of time you've got with sellers is going to increase. I guess the way that you can sort of handle that, I mean, what sort of numbers of listings have you got at any one time? And I guess the structure, that's where that structure is really important so that you can make sure that you're actually getting back to them, um, you know, frequently and and you don't miss anything. Um, firstly, before I, I go to that, just on the deals and the days on market, um, we were talking about this yesterday. I feel at the moment um, that every deal, um, it's like you're, you're, you're a surgeon and you're operating, right? So you're putting out one, you know, you're sewing up one um, ailment and, you know, they might go into cardiac arrest or whatever it may be. At the moment, it's literally you've got to be able to keep the deal together and you've got to yeah. think outside the square. Um, uh, for me, at any given Saturday, I'd have anywhere from, say, 10 to 14 open homes across the team. Um, Shannon and I will cross over. I've got an extra person who works on a Saturday for me at the front door so that Shannon can go to the next one and we can kind of make sure that we cover all of the all of the listings that we've got. Yeah. Um, but, yes, I think it's more about sense of urgency. It's not waiting. It's over-servicing um, the buyers right now and building a rapport with them. I've said to my guys, the more buyer appointments they can do now in this market, the better. I think that when you're doing a one-on-one buyer appointment, you've got a much better um, opportunity to understand their motivation um, as well as building trust with them when it does come to offer time because it's not easy. Like It's tough. Yeah. And it's, it's I guess, as well, uh, twofold. One, it's helping you with the buyers, but also, um, you know, just in terms of your seller education, you've got someone that's really keen. They're going through, you're taking them through privately and just shows that, you know, the, you're working hard to, to try and get the deal together. The other thing that we started doing, which I found really, really beneficial, is 
we were making private appointments. Um, some of our agents stopped doing midweek opens because there wasn't a great volume going through. I still continue to do it again. Mine's more for the vendor servicing that we're doing everything we possibly can. But um, so hypothetically, say we do the callbacks on a Monday and someone can't meet the opens and we're booking it in for 5 p.m. on a Thursday afternoon, yep. we're actually locking in an open home at that time. If we've got someone going to the property, we're, if we're going there, we're putting a 20-minute open or whatnot online for that buyer appointment because we're actually, there's been a couple of instances we've gotten two or three other buyers come through. Yeah, and, awesome. and um, same for the Saturday. So when we're doing the calls and booking in and talking to them and they say, yeah, we're going to come to the open on Saturday, we're actually putting their name and number in um, a calendar invite in that open time slot so that we can follow up on Monday. If they haven't come to the open, we've got their details to remember to ring back and ask why they didn't come through or would they like to make another private appointment. That's awesome. So you're pretty um, diligent on getting back to everyone on Monday, even even those that didn't come through. Yeah. 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 Um, I've just had a question, uh, which is a good one. So um, it looks as if online that you're not listing things is a two-part question, not listing anything with a price, the reasoning for that. Uh, and then secondary, um, once the property is sold, it's listed as contact agent and the reasoning for that. Um, so two parts. So the first one is I'd say 90% of my sales, um, my um, recommendation to owners is auction unless sold prior. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not because I want to run an auction. Um, if anything, in this market, we're not doing as many auctions as what we were previously. But um, having an auction, um, uh, one, it removes the price ceiling and it allows me to get genuine buyer feedback before guiding something. Um, it's detrimental to the property and the owner, even if you underprice or overprice. So um, my my advice to my owners has been auction unless sold prior. You normally hypothetically have your best impact weeks one and two. And if we've got a standout buyer, I don't want to have to say we're waiting till auction because we might lose them. How are you positioning? Are you positioning that early with your seller that, hey, just be aware, we may get a good offer week one or two and we need to be ready for it? How do you do that? Because because half that the time they're not ready and it's that's that's a juggle, right? It's actually part of that pre-campaign meeting before we launch, but it's also written in the document that I send them that it could be highly likely that we may meet our best buyer weeks one or two. And the risk that we run by not negotiating with them prior is that something comes on the market in competition with us and um, we lose them or they're not at the same level as where they were because we do have a competing property. Um, and there's probably, like we're seeing now, there's plenty of examples of that starting to actually happen. So there's some case studies, I guess, to go through, which is good. Yeah. The other thing we find, because we track, obviously, with the volume that we've got, we track um, our days on market for all of uh, our agents. Our auction campaigns, uh, because there's a deadline, create a sense of urgency, our days on market are far lower on those campaigns than for sale and a price. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and hypothetically, with a price, we could get it wrong and either not have anyone come through or we underprice it. And there's, underpricing in this market is, is not an issue because you're showing better value and you're getting more buyers to the property. But sometimes it's too big a gap to build up where, where you're trying to achieve. Yep. No, that's great. Um, question in relation to the database. Um, you now aware since the move and you know the importance of the the cleanliness of your database. 
Uh, What processes do you sort of put in place to maintain it? And how much time do you and your team allocate towards keeping on top of your data? Um, So it goes back to that checklist. So there's a section when we list a client that they go in the database, they get appropriately ticked for, you know, to receive my newsletter, my month, uh, my quarterly market report, um, that they uh, their birthday goes in so that we get an alert through agent box to wish them a happy birth, just a small one percent. But once it has sold, we update their details in agent box, not only their new address, but an anniversary trail. So for um, not only settlements, so after settlements occurred, you know, week one we call them, then three months after they've moved in, then 12 months we do the anniversary card, um, call them and do a, an update. We call it a health check or a you know an updated market appraisal for them. It's in the it's in the um, system, so I don't forget. Um, so that's once you've got through that a couple of extra touch points in the first year, but then it's an annual just sort of health check that just happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if if we're doing if we're and and to be honest, I haven't had to. Um, I think that I try and and I let the owners know once we've sold that that's what the like clients for life will be in touch. But if you need anything, let us know. If um, I don't wait until the 12 month annual checkup, if we're selling in their suburb, they still get the just listed or just sold in their area. And that's just an email or an SMS. I, you know, I, to be honest, I'd love to be able to call them all, but I physically don't have, have the time or the capacity. Yeah, cool. Um, another question for you, you're with the detail, you, you may have a bit of an idea on this, but your largest lead source on where your listings are coming from, um, is it sort of from, you know, cold calling people you don't have, uh, buyers that you've been working with or open homes? Do you, do you sort of keep a, keep tabs on where, where your stock is coming from? Um, I would say that the two major sources for me is either repeat or referrals, like the the past clients or their my past clients refer friends and family. I have a lot of referral and repeat clients. You know, to the point in the last nine years, I've probably on my major clients sold four or five times. Whether that's their investment property, their principal place, it's being on the journey with them through their you know the stages upsizing or downsizing. Um, but in the early days and even now it's how you make someone feel at the open home and how you help them from a buying perspective so I'd say that um, when we do the calls on a Monday either they'll invite us in or we'll ask the question and we'll be given the opportunity to go in um, and and how much time are you allowing for your opens obviously if you're doing 10 to 14 and you're sort of running at a fair pace are you just half an hour or yeah 30 minutes um and some of the some of the smaller stock, I, because I've got a team at the side that I do, Shannon and one other can do the smaller stock. But majority, if I'm selling for someone, I'm selling the home for them. So um, it will be myself and Charlie. But we literally try and group suburb and suburb so that I'm not going from one end of the town to the other um, and try and be as cost effective as possible. Um, oh, no. Sorry. <laughs> Is that you or me? I don't know. That was Justin, someone from here asking about someone. Maybe I don't know who it was. Someone eating all the biscuits in the kitchen. (laughs) Maybe that could be the case. Um, As a as a leader, um, 
you know, you, you've got a, a few hats that you're wearing, but how do you maintain your energy and sort of focus with everything that's going on? Um, love what you do. Um, the one thing that I um, wish I had known earlier on in the piece, because you do love what you do and you're like, I get out of bed excited to go to work every day. Um, but it's real estate's a tough game and it's a roller coaster. And um, if you're not mindful of your health and your sleep, um, I a few years ago I got to a point where I was, you know, exhausted. Um, and you know, your health is really important. So that's if my number one advice is yes, it's great to love what you do. I don't clock on, uh, you know, and then clock off. I literally hundred percent of the time are working, but I love it. Um, is health and sleep. It's really important. Yeah, awesome. Um, any advice just to to leave with the um leave with the team just about you know things that um you have kind of found or you know when leveling up your business anything that's been important to help you sort of get yourself to that next step? Yeah, I think that um, our business. I look at some of the younger agents and the more established agents, and um, my advice is if you're all in and there's no plan B then you need to invest time and money, um, both developing yourself and your team. I think that because of COVID, a lot of agents stop uh, stop spending money on marketing themselves or, you know, to win business, sometimes you've got to kick into um, a campaign or you've got, you've got to be able to expose that and to spend money and sometimes that investment will, um, you, you'll be rewarded for it. But also training and development, I think it's really important um, for, for people um, if you've got a team that you're, you're doing um, extra, whether it's role playing or, you know, developing um, certain skills, I think it's important. No, that's awesome, Sarah. You've been uh, you've been amazing. You, uh, there's no surprise why you're doing the the business that you're doing. Um, the slides that you sent through, am I able to share those with the team? Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. awesome. So we'll, we've got some um, got some slides that you can have a look and just uh, you know, Sarah sort of put into detail the you know the different activities that she's doing and what goes into the business that she has created. So it's um yeah, you've got a lot on your plate for you to spend the time with us this morning. We we really do appreciate it because there's a, a thousand of one other people that want your time and things that you can be doing, I'm sure. So thank you so much from uh, on behalf of all of Halfquick's Hostel. We really appreciate your time. No, I really appreciate the opportunity. If anyone's got any questions about the slides or any of the, the documents, they're more than happy to give me a call and I'll help them through it. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good day, guys. Take care. Right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.